0: Well, our sermon today is Healthy Messianic Community Grounded in Shalom. And I have been informed that the reason the slides will be dim is that that projector uh, needs to be replaced. And that'll be an interesting story because I wanna do a segue from last week's sermon. And so I just wanna say what a privilege it is to co-labor with Howard Silverman on behalf of our congregation. And usually it involves two things, right? Teaching and prayer. And we're happy to get together and always talk about what needs taught or prayed in and out of existence in our congregation. And I realized this morning that that projector needs to be prayed out of this congregation. So join me in prayer for its replacement. So I promised a picture for a specific couple here with us, and there it is. Do you remember he closed the sermon out on table fellowship? And I just wanna tell you something about that guy that we lost right there, Jerry. You know, about three months before Jerry passed, we were here uh, or, or uh, yeah, so we were together and I was walking down the hallway. So that had to be before the pandemic, right? This story goes back to before the pandemic. Um, with the sermon had just finished, you know, the service was over. I was walking down the hall, Jerry was coming this way and I was all caught up in thought, and Jerry stopped me. He said, Henry. I said, what, he goes, come here. He goes, do I exist? You just walked by me? And I said, Jerry, let's go in the coat room. So he went in the coat room. I said, you know what it's like for me? I said, I listen to the sermon. I listen to what Howard said, and I think about all the ways that has to flow into teaching or prayer to bring the congregation to the next place. And so I am consumed with that. It's possible that I could walk by and not even see you remember Paul said besides all these things I am what it's it's the it's the burden of what needs to happen where we need to go that we carry with us and so sometimes that was misunderstood as not having people skills trust me when I say if I ignore you I'm consumed so just hit me or something wake me up and I'll be rescued from from where I was Um, But this is a beautiful example of our congregation in Table Fellowship, even though it's a holiday. And so I want to talk about true Table Fellowship. And there's an essay in the Anchor Bible Dictionary, ABD, by Dennis Smith that is so lovely. And Howard definitely has been working and has worked that material with us, but we will continue to do that. Eating Together in the ancient world, created a tie or a bond among those at the table, which in turn created an ethical obligation toward one another. And in the scriptures, this goes all the way back to ratification of a covenant in the Tanakh. I'll have to check to make sure that we're on the right page from time to time, so we're using a little new system here, so bear with me. But the key point here is that the chief social function of shared meals by God's people before and after the coming of Yeshua Messiah was to inculcate community identity, that we are the people of God or that we are now the people of God in Messiah Yeshua. Notice how all these graphics are actual graphics of us. This is such a beautiful table. And know that when Yeshua shared a meal with someone, He provided them with a foretaste of the messianic banquet of Isaiah 25, 6 and following. Can you imagine what we would be like if in our own egg, we're focused on digesting the sermons, pouring into each other's progress, meeting each other's needs, and giving each other a foretaste of the coming messianic banquet? And what if we then carried that with us in the other six days of the week, so that when people engaged us, they got a slight foretaste of the coming Messianic banquet. So as you've been reminded, uh, please remember to sign up today to be on an Oneg team. Howard's last point was, if you can be at an Oneg, you can serve at an Oneg. And we're here to serve, of course, one another. True Table Fellowship requires healthy Messianic community grounded in shalom. So the prerequisites for healthy Messianic community grounded in shalom very simple number one know who you are know whose you are at one of the worst moments in messianic studies institute's history when we were in financial trouble i was sitting across from a member of this congregation james klein and he saw that i was sweating bullets and he said henry don't you know who you are don't you know whose you are i needed that wake-up call that's how we pour into one another but most important especially to be taught in the United States of America where there's rugged individualism, is know who we are, knows, know whose we are. The we is so uh, critical. And of course, this passage, paramount, if anyone is in Messiah, they are a new creation. They're part of the new creation of Isaiah, like, 65, 66 in particular. We need to think about this, and we need to grow into this. If anyone is in Messiah, they're a new creation. It's like a foretaste of the coming everything, kingdom of God, resurrection, whatever. The old things have passed away. Lo and behold, new things have come. So that means we're in the great need of old things that are not the new creation that are actually in us, or a part of the dynamics of our relationships, we need those things to pass away and then participate in the new things that have come. Secondly, we need to allow ourselves to be transformed. This verse, or these verses, um, Romans 12, 1 through 2, should read something more accurately like this. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, There you go. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, our persons, as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable or rational service, not spiritual. That's a mistranslation there. It's the only rational thing you can do given the first 11 chapters of Romans. And then it says what? do not allow yourselves to be conformed to this present age. Do not allow yourselves to be conformed to this present age. There's a great paraphrase of it that says, don't let this age squeeze you into its mold, but allow yourselves to be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mindset, like the way you think, and therefore the way you speak, act, Behave, live, be. Allow yourselves to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may figure out what the will of God is, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Know that we are called not to a religion as a compartment and component of life, but to a holistic worldview and way of life. It all starts in Genesis 18, 17 through 19. The Lord, Yodhavav, said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Understand what we're called to. It's Jewish particularism with a universal horizon involving all nations that never changed in the new covenant. It only got more fully realized. So it's all about Jewish particularism with a universal horizon involving all nations. That's what we're involved in. That's God's history and how he chooses to work in that history. And then he says that, of course, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great mighty nation, all the nations of earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him for what reason? That he may command his children and his household after him to do what? to keep the way of the Lord, the Derek Adonai. How? By doing righteousness and justice. It's all about a people who are doing what is rightly expected in all relationships and in all situations. That's what righteousness is. So that yod may bring to Abraham what he has promised. And then we need to be holistic in the covenant of Shalom. Excuse me. The Aaronic benediction, unbelievable, can never be taken for granted. Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, notice it's the people. It's the people. It's the group. It's the community. May the Lord bless you, the community, and keep you, the community. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, the collective whole, and be gracious to you, the collective whole. May the Lord lift up his countenances, panim is plural, boy, we'll have a sermon on that someday, upon you and give you not just peace. That's one small piece. Guess what? Peace is one small piece of shalom. So when we say this, we really should be saying, and give you shalom, because it's the whole Megillah that's being uh, blessed upon you at that moment in the Aaronic Benediction. There it is, right? Very good. So there's our Aaronic benediction. And so do we know what we are saying? Do we know what we are saying in the Aaronic benediction? If I just pulled the majority key words for the meaning of shalom in the time period, it would be something like this May the Lord, Yodhé Vavé, lift up his faces upon you, the collective whole and give you, the collective whole, what? Wholeness, completeness, soundness, sufficiency, satisfaction, harmony, peace, etc. That is what we're looking to manifest in a flesh among us as a community. May the weight of the meaning of the word shalom forever change us today when we do the Aaronic benediction with with the kids underneath, but to the whole community. May we never be the same in our understanding of Shalom, and then may we grow into it as a community. Yeah. So there are implications here for our thinking, speaking, doing, behaving, living, and being. I developed this for the Shalom course, and this is how I attempt to practice life especially here in the city of Gahanna, because I'm involved in all of the things in that 360, in the city of Gahanna, blatantly always as a self and community who's a new creation and Messiah. And I bring that to bear on all every aspect of life I get involved in, and that's what we're to do. So notice it says as a self and community who is a new creation and Messiah, we must bring the current foretaste of the coming fullness of shalom to bear on every aspect of life. I've tried to get every major domain of, of life there from the individual as a self in community all the way over to government. Most, too many of us don't know it's a covenant of shalom. Look at this verse from Isaiah 54.10. Though the mountains move and the hills shake, my chesed will not be removed from you and my covenant of shalom will not be shaken, says the one who has compassion on you, yod heh vav Shalom, I am leaving with you. My shalom, I am giving to you. Wholeness, completeness, soundness, sufficiency, satisfaction, harmony, peace. My shalom, I'm giving to you, not as the world or the present age gives, I am giving to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be short of courage. And then blessed are the shalom makers, for they shall be called the children of God. Children of God, family, brothers and sisters. Blessed are the shalom makers, not just peacemakers. The whole range of meanings needs to be in our thought here. Shalom makers. And that word in the Greek up top, the big long one, is the word for shalom makers. And it was used of the emperor of the time. So Yeshua definitely says, not as the world gives, do I give. What's at stake when it comes to the faith? Many well-intended Messiah followers understand it in limited terms as a church view, or a synagogue view, or a spirituality view, or a religious view, or a God view, but not as a comprehensive, all-embracing, holistic worldview and way of life. But a holistic, comprehensive, biblical worldview and way of life has a mysterious way... Of opening up the parameters of the Bible so that Messiah followers might be delivered from a fishbowl sized religion or faith into an oceanic messianic worldview and way of life get the picture is that stunning this ocean I wish you could see that in full brightness when that gets answered this picture will take your breath away it's done by Stephen Koppel of Expressions Gallery on Cape Cod, uh, where we're from, where I am from. And my sister put me on to the artwork of Stephen Koppel, who takes these pictures every morning of the ocean there on Cape Cod. And he uses all of his art for purposes of mental health. So he has an organization, 501c3. It all goes towards mental health. And the other day, I was shocked to see a photo of an ocean that took my breath away. And it was Barry Berman. Yeah, it was Cliff's brother, Barry Berman. Took two photos of this quality of the ocean, and it was the same place as Stephen Koppel. And so I said to Barry, Barry, those photos are stunning. Have you ever seen the work of Stephen Koppel? He said, yeah, Henry, I'm training under him right now. So they take him out to the beach like at dawn, and they set him up on the shore. And he does a tutorial on how to capture the ocean like this. And I'm using this to say, I'm begging you not to settle for the fishbowl that the rest of Christendom settles for when God intended us to be in the ocean. It's a worldview and a way of life. It's tragic. Cliff walked out of the room right when I covered his brother. Such an oceanic perspective on the faith, connects the earlier and later scriptures, unifies biblical content from Genesis to Revelation, something Howard and I are always trying to do at MSI as well as the rest of the faculty, unifies biblical content from Genesis to Revelation, puts the Bible back together again, furnishes the background for the particulars of Messianic teaching and practice, And provides a narrative context by which Messiah followers can establish what their identities and community, a self in community, is the gift of the Israelites and later Jewish people to us by God. Such an oceanic perspective shatters a multitude of dualisms and reductionisms, which we're going to deal with in detail next week, and replaces them with a biblically based wholeness that appropriately unifies time and eternity, body and soul, or body and spirit, or soul and spirit, or faith and reason, or faith and science, or sacred and secular, or earth and heaven, etc. It results in an inner and outer holistic coherence, spiritual freedom and the ability to delight in creation and enjoy the totality of life. And I'm indebted to David K. Noggle, for this whole idea of moving from a fishbowl to the ocean Um, just before he retired i got to uh, speak with him one final time and he said to me henry never in a million years would i have thought that book would end up making that kind of a difference that it ends up in your hermeneutics course at msi Um, but i'm deeply indebted to david nagel this is a hard read about the history of a concept but would you get to the last two chapters of this book my goodness, does he deliver what we are in as Messiah followers, a robust, rich, full worldview and way of life. Well, we have uh, work ahead of us as a congregation. We have work ahead of us. And what is that work? So our key passages in this sermon come from the book of Philippians. Therefore, my beloved ones, just as you have always obeyed, not when in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, or it could be reverence and awe. He's talking to the community, working out their communal health. He is referring to ultimate eschatological rescue and deliverance in the end, but he's he's begging us to work it out now as a group of people. So really, this could be translated, continue to work out your own communal health on the way to eschatological rescue and deliverance in the end when God's kingdom comes to earth forever. This is no small exhortation. Here's the good news. For God is the one who is continuously characterized by being at work in you. God is continually at work in you both to will and to work with a view to his good pleasure. And then how about this? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do we have room to grow here? Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do you know that this is the language for the wilderness generation? This in Greek is the exact language for the behavior of the wilderness generation. And you got a course coming up in Hebrews this coming year by Howard where you clearly see that the Messianic community of Jews in that book, who that was written to, were told, do not be like the wilderness generation. The wilderness generation does damage in two ways. It's grumbling and complaining does damage to one another. But who else was severely hurt by the grumbling, complaining, murmuring, wilderness generation, its chief leader, Moses. We always do damage to ourselves when we are grumbling, disputing, complaining individual persons not focused on the good of the community. We do damage to ourselves. We always do damage to the Moses, the shepherd of the congregation when we behave like the wilderness generation in my decades of following yeshua messiah the number one thing that pastors shepherds talk to me about i I end up saying to them oh you need to remember you have to be faithful to carry out your moses ministry even when the congregation you're serving is behaving like the wilderness generation so of course don't take a word like this said at this tone of voice as a criticism of us, as if we were the wilderness generation. <laughs> let's not have that misunderstanding. Um, but let's be those who are always before God in a way that says, uh, search me and know my heart and see if there's any hurtful, harmful way in me that's about grumbling, disputing, etc. that makes me part of the wilderness generation that does damage to myself and therefore damage to others and especially damage to the shepherd uh, of the flock of Moses. Why do all of this? So that you may be blameless and pure, what? Children of God, brothers and sisters, without blemish, in the midst of what? A crooked and perverse generation. We're going to need a half hour just to make that applicable to today, right? No, of course not. Because we realize we're in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. What are we supposed to do by doing all this? Shine as stars in the world among the crooked and perverse generation. How will we get there? This is the work ahead of us. How will we get there? Number one, we need to understand and continue to become community. And I will challenge us today with perhaps the ways we do not yet understand or are community. And number two, we need to overcome U.S. radical individualism. That'll be our sermon today. Next week in full, we'll deal with overcome the actions of the evil inclination. Galatians 5, usually translated works of the flesh. We're going to call it, from the more Jewish perspective, the actions of the evil inclination. We'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and then we're going to talk in detail about a whole book that's been written on U.S. argument culture, and what it has done to us, and what we as followers of Messiah can do about U.S. argument culture. We're going to take the scales away so that we can see it for what it is. And then we'll even talk about how everything's been reduced to two sides for everything. Which side are you on? As if there wasn't 360 degrees, but just two sides. We're going to deal with that in detail um, next week and attempt to fix that as messiah followers but today our emphasis is on understand and continue to become community and overcome u.s radical individualism deuteronomy 9:10, and the lord gave me the two tablets of stone written with the finger of god and on them were all the words that yodhi had spoken with you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the what the assembly the gathering uh, this is the word kahal in hebrew the assembly the gathering kahal It's translated always in the Greek with ekklesia. That is why it was so critical that we engaged the work of uh, Ralph Corner on ekklesia. The book that he wrote before the Revelation book is even more important because it restores to us what is ekklesia. And so, assembly. This is like the assembly of God's people here, yes? Check out how the word's used here. Scary. I hate the assembly, the ecclesia, the kahal of evildoers. So we never knew really, right, that the word kahal and the word ecclesia was used of a community, a congregation, an assembly of evildoers. And we want to be the other, the opposite that's in the previous verse. But the, the word was used for this, for the gathering, the assembly, the congregation. And then we have this statement. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my ecclesia, my kahal, the kahal, the ecclesia of Yeshua. And the gates of Hades will not hold up against it. We will, in fact, overpower the forces that are against it. So here I just make this point to say the word ecclesia, the word kahal, always referred to like the gathered people, like the group that gathers up front here when the Torah is being read. That's the assembly, the congregation. But what happened in the days of Philo of Alexandria, Egypt, that Jewish person, he took the word ecclesia and he applied it to the community when they were not assembled. So it became a permanent designation for us when we're not gathered together, we're back out doing whatever in the days of the week. Ecclesia became a designation for us permanently as a community that's very important to us that's who we are and paul followed suit and john followed suit and you see that in revelation 1 11 write in a book what you see and send it to the seven Ecclesiastes communities the seven ecclesias the communities of messiah followers we need to grow into the meaning of ecclesia and kahal again in a way that the world sees something different in us that they see than they see in other people we need to reinstantiate ecclesia that is give the world a new real life instance of ecclesia so that when they see us They don't see the wilderness generation. They see a group of people that transcends all the issues of the us versus them. Which side are you on? United States of America. So we need to do some overcoming. Did you ever realize that all seven letters to the seven ecclesiastes in Revelation end with the person who is characterized by overcoming? Each community had something distinct They needed to overcome. And so it says the person who is characterized by overcoming, like, excuse me, it means like habitually characterized by overcoming. Notice this one says, I will grant to that person to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's an incredible promise right there again all the graphics are focused on us if you don't think Chris Cotting when you see this picture there's just something wrong with you or you haven't grown to know him deeply enough I like that he's like I don't know 13 to 20 feet off the ground here um, please see the overcoming theme in the letters to the seven Ecclesias in the book of uh, Revelation and we'll do a lot of reading here as our sermon uh, heads for closure spiritual formation i'm working here by the way with joseph hellerman's work joseph hellerman wrote a greek commentary on philippians that is second to none it sees things from a jewish perspective from the perspective of the tanakh and he also is a specialist in the roman world there's no resource like it on earth but he also wrote this book and of course howard and i always read the words that belong there instead of the words people use right words that are used that give you the wrong idea of what what we're in or what we're about. We read over them with the new words. So you can guess the title of this book by how many words I replaced, right? Scholars usually quote the name of the book as is and say, I'm sorry, that was their language. I go one step further. You don't get away with it. I retitle the book. So Joseph Hellman wrote a book, When the ecclesia was a Family. Recapturing Yeshua's Vision for Authentic Messianic Community. And I'm going to read large excerpts from it now because it's so easy to understand and so essential to help us to get to the next stage of Beth Messiah congregation community. Spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. People who remain connected with their brothers and sisters in the local ecclesia almost invariably grow in self-understanding, and they mature in their ability to relate in healthy ways to God and to their fellow human beings. This is especially the case for those courageous Messiah followers who stick it out through the often messy process of interpersonal discord and conflict resolution. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the messianic worldview and way of life. It's a messianic, messianic life. I think the point is made there. Is anyone muddled at this point? Thank you. It is a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we do not grow much at all. So why do we so often sabotage our most intimate relationships, seek help from others only after the damage is irreversible, and continue to try to find our way through life as isolated individuals, convinced somehow that God will remain with us to lead us and bless us wherever we go. Why do we continue foolishly to operate as if our own immediate happiness is of greater value than the greater good of the community that Messiah is building? Our culture has powerfully socialized us to believe that personal happiness and fulfillment should take precedence over the connections we have with others in both our families and the communities of Messiah followers. I will give you really the most serious example of this in next week's discussion, something that happened during the pandemic almost everywhere in messianic circles that warrants being explained, exposed, and disgust so that we can make progress. So we run from the painful but redemptive relationships God has put us in. The tune of radical individualism has been playing in our ears at full volume for decades. Our anthropologist friend would say it was rugged individualism for the longest time, but it changed into radical individualism. It's been playing in our ears at full volume for decades. We're dancing to the music with gusto, and it is costing us dearly. How about a contrast? I wish you could see the beauty of that slide. Pray for that projector. By contrast, nearly all other societies throughout history have been and continue to be collectivist in their view of the world. They put the good of the whole before themselves, the majority of societies throughout history. Most persons who have lived on planet earth have simply assumed that the good of the individual should take a back seat to the good of the group, whether that group is a family, a village, or a community. This view is actually intended by God and is therefore inherent to the way of the Lord, the Derek Adonai. It's ultimately expressed in the ethical summit of the scriptures, Leviticus 19, 18b, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. A better translation of this passage that avoids the Western confusion of self-love is, you shall love the one next to you as if they were the same as you. It originally referred to loving one's fellow Israelite in Leviticus 19, love being tangible acts of service. Small part affect almost all, like 98% tangible acts of service. That's love according to the scriptures. But by the time we reach Leviticus 19.34, it clearly is applied to the foreigners who reside with Israel. This view is inherent to the Derek Adonai, the way of the Lord and Messiah, and is ultimately expressed in the Messiah hymn of Philippians 2.5 through 11, which we'll look at shortly. That passage provides us with a pattern, a paradigm to follow, in which individual needs, wants, interests, concerns, rights, etc., are subsumed in that of the Messianic community. You ever grab an out scroll, door, open it up, go to the beginning and see that essay by Nason Sherman, Prayer A Timeless Need? He makes the point that what? In Jewish prayer, all individual prayer is subsumed in the community. He couldn't be more right. And all you have to do is look at the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' Prayer. It's all about our give us. It's communal, individual, subsumed in the greater good of the community, unlike how people get socialized here. Yeah. So they're subsumed in that of the Messianic community, which is only and ever always to be shaped by God's will for his people. <clears throat> our uniquely individualistic approach toward life and relationships so characteristic of U.S. society, subtly yet certainly sets us up for failure in our efforts to stay and grow in the context of the often difficult but redemptive relationships that God has provided for us. Radical individualism has affected our whole way of viewing the messianic quote-unquote quote, faith, and it has profoundly compromised the solidarity of our relational commitments to one another. There's a word in the text of Philippians, that calls us to be solidarity ones, persons characterized by solidarity. Ah, uh, here's here's another memory, huh? Boy, do I miss this guy. There's a Jew and a Gentile in solidarity. What is solidarity? Godly solidarity, biblical solidarity, Tanakhian solidarity, New Covenant Scriptures solidarity. What is it? a holistic unity of interests, responsibilities, objectives, and standards in the community. Not what I want, not what I need. What is the good for us as the people of God who are a new creation in Messiah? The world in which Yeshua and his followers lived was a distinctly strong group culture in which the health of the group, not the needs of the individual received what? First priority. We're not saying forget the individual. We're saying first priority. And the most important group for persons in the ancient world was the family. So it's hardly accidental that the writers of the New Covenant Scriptures chose the concept of family as the central social metaphor to describe the kind of interpersonal relationships that were to characterize those early Messianic communities. Um, It's been thought that perhaps the Messiah followers are the first ones that turn blood relations of brother sister mother father to non-blood relations so think of that verse in the gospels right if you're a jewish messiah follower in particular in the first century and your family rejects you because you have chosen to follow yeshua the messiah and they're not on board with your messianic jewishness they want to remain there and reject Yeshua the messiah there's a verse on that that you inherit a hundredfold Mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, houses, lands. Mikasa Esukasa, that's Tanakian. Yeah, my house is your house. Oh, we need to be more those who understand that passage so that we all pour into each other's lives and nobody gets stranded because we're we're busy being rugged or radical individualistic, like I was told many times at the hardest moments of MSI. Suck it up and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. That's not messianic. There is, in fact, no better way to come to grips with the spiritual and relational poverty of U.S. individualism than to compare our typical way of doing things with the strong group, surrogate family relations of the early Yeshua movement. They had these things called love feasts. Think of love, tangible actions of service. Feast where they're eating together and everyone is seeing to the needs of everybody else. In fact, think about the passage in 1 Corinthians that Howard always cites when we do Messiah's table. To not discern the body properly doesn't mean your personal body. To not discern the body properly is to not discern the group of people, the community properly. And notice what it led to. Some were sick and some died because they ate and drank in an unworthy manner. The New Covenant Scripture's picture of the ecclesia as the family flies in the face of our individualistic cultural orientation. God's intention is not to become the feel-good father of a myriad of isolated individuals who appropriate the messianic worldview and way of life as yet another avenue toward personal fulfillment and happiness. I can't tell you how much I recommend this book, even though it doesn't use our language, because it's really insightful. And it goes a step beyond this. In the United States, we've been socialized to believe that our individual fulfillment or happiness and our personal relationship with God are more important than any connection we might have with our fellow human beings, whether in the home or in the community of Messiah fathers. We have, in a most subtle and insidious way, been conformed to this age, this world. There's great hope, however, for profound transformation. Trust me, there's an equally Gorgeous graphic behind that, to make the point. Oh, by this it is evident who are the children of God. And if we're the children of God, we're brothers and sisters of one another. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Now there's a two sides. Doesn't mean there's never two sides, but there's a two sides. Whoever is not characterized by doing righteousness, what is rightly expected, in all relationships and situations. Whoever is not characterized by doing righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who is not characterized by loving his brother or sister in Messiah. Isn't that profound? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Do we have anything to learn from the 3,000 Messianic Jews who were birthed right there at that, first century Shavuot, when Joel 2 was fulfilled at a profound level. Do we have something to learn from those 3,000 Messianic Jews? Here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon every person. Awe, like wow. Awe came upon every person, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who trusted in Yeshua Messiah, this is the ESV, it hasn't had my work on it yet, were together, all who trusted were together, solidarity, and had all things in common, solidarity. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Have something to learn from them. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Seems like they maintained a constant foretaste of the coming, full taste of the Messianic banquet, where there's going to be fat, apparently there's fat steaks, and choice aged wine. I told Leroy before he departed, please reserve me a space at Isaiah's table. I can't wait to see the cabernet he is serving. Praising God, and what? Having favor with all the people. Trust me, if we are in a namby-pamby religion, we're not going to have favor with all the people. If we continue to be, which side are you on for 100% of everything? We're never going to have favor with all the people. But when you bring this fatness of shalom with you to whatever you're engaging in the six days of the week that we're not pouring it out here to God in thankfulness, you will be well received by all the people and then Yoni he adds to their number day by day those who are being rescued so the work ahead of us revisited we're just reiterating therefore what my beloved ones just as you have always obeyed not when in my presence only but now much more in my absence continue to work out your eschatological rescue deliverance salvation your current communal health, health is a possible translation of shalom, with fear and trembling probably of God, for God is the one who is continually working in you, both to will and to work with a view to his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as stars. This is all grounded in the previous section, so we have to add it. Therefore, If there's any exhortation in Messiah, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any what? Participation in the Ruach, if there's any participation in the Ruach, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete, how? By thinking the same way, worldview and way of life, solidarity, having the same love, actions of service to one another persons of solidarity we've already defined intent on the one thing which is likely having the mindset of messiah do nothing out of selfish ambition or exaggerated self-conception but in humility a whole brand new book has been written on humility and how paul coined a term you'll be hearing about it but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves Consider others as more important than yourselves. Each of you should look out not only for your own concerns, so no self-abuse or lack of self-care, but look out not only for your own concerns but the concerns of others. Ultimately, what what should we do? Have this mindset, this worldview, this attitude that then flows into speaking, thinking, doing, being, living. Have this mindset in yourselves, which was also a Messiah Yeshua, who, although and precisely because he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Nero, who was called God, exploited that status. Yeshua, who was actually God, did not exploit that status. And we can explain, if you're interested in a Greek course, why that should be translated exploited there. But on the contrary, he divested himself. He divested himself of what? Being clothed. In glory, and took the form of a slave. He went from the highest status to the lowest status in the world, the highest status in the heavens to the lowest status in the world. My professor of Philippians once said to us, If Yeshua can do that, and Paul can follow him, what's our excuse? He asked that question three times. He came into existence in the likeness of human beings, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and death by the means of a cross. Talk about acts of service for the other. Well, I have two closing slides. Cliff, I already covered your, your brother, uh, so they'll fill you in on that one. But I close with two motivational songs from the psychedelic era. If Paul can quote the pagan poets, I can quote the psychedelic music. And it, the point is that this, that in 1969, When these two albums were released, we immediately went to the local place and got them, brought them home, put them on the record player, and we listened to them, you know, endlessly. And the thing that struck me, because since 1969, that song has not got out of my being. And since 1969, the other song has not gotten out of my being, because it's all what should be, and it's in a song. And so I urge you to listen to He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother Today. I remember my brother saying a few weeks ago, I was humming it or something. He goes, "Now nah, I can't get it out of my head. Well, it'd be a good thing not to get out of your head. If I'm laden at all, I'm laden with sadness that everyone's heart isn't filled with the gladness of love for one another. So check out, it was made uh, famous by the Hollies. They did not write it, but it was made famous by the Hollies in 1969. And then one of my favorite songs of all time is Crystal Blue Persuasion unless you think it's about the crystal, whatever, acid things from those days. Um, Tommy James was interviewed, and he said, no, that's straight out of the book of Revelation. That, that rib, river of living water flowing from the throne, it's, it's crystalline. It's crystal blue, and I was persuaded by the good news. So crystal blue persuasion has to do with the book of Revelation and the good news of Yeshua Messiah. And then he sings, maybe tomorrow when he looks down on every green field, ooh, ooh, in every town, all of his children in every nation, there'll be peace and good brotherhood. Yes? Oh, man, only at Beth Messiah can you get a psychedelic sermon. And Howard said, never hold back on things like that. So I was faithful not to hold back this time. Um, usually, you know, you're told if you're a Gentile uh, Christian uh, pastor, you should end your sermon with three points. So um, here are 12 twice. Yes, you understand the reason for 12, and you know that I follow the one who came to give life and give it to you more abundantly. Here's a more abundantly conclusion. Practice table fellowship. Sign up for an Oneg team. Know who and whose we are. Allow yourselves to be transformed. Disallow compartmentalized religion. Have a holistic worldview and way of life. Opt for the ocean over the fishbowl. Be in the covenant of shalom. Be a shalom maker. Work out our communal health. Know that God is continually at work among us. Don't be the wilderness generation. Be the children, the family of God. Treat each other as brothers and sisters. Wake me up when I'm focused on where we need to go and I walk by you and it seems like I ignored you. Shine as stars in the world. Understand community. Continue to become a community. Be a self in community, in solidarity. Overcome U.S. radical individualism. Overcome the focus on self, What me, myself, and I demands and wants. What my rights are. Be the ecclesia Yeshua is building. Continue from Messianic, the Messianic, and flesh the mindset of Yeshua Messiah. Love one another in acts of service. Be other-centered, but take care of yourself. Amen. Let us pray. So, Avina Malcano, our Father, our King, we present ourselves to you afresh and we thank you that you are at work among us and we give you permission to work in us, to search us and find any harmful, hurtful way in us so that we could grow into the community that you constituted us to be. Thank you that you called a people. Thank you that the word ecclesia uh, translated kahal and became a permanent designation. We want to be those who reflect you, reflect Messiah, do acts of service for one another, and shock the world with our behavior that's not like anyone else, where Jewish persons and persons from every nation get together, don't have a problem with one another, and make a difference in this world and give the world a foretaste of what you are bringing here forever. This we ask in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach. Oh, well,